This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 561. And the quote of the day is, those who look only to the past or to the present are certain to miss the future. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 561. I hope you're doing well, and if this is the first episode you've ever checked out, we got 564, or 560 of them. Math is hard, folks. Uh, 560 more of them for you to check out. If you've been listening for a while, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. And if you dig it, leave a rating. You can do that on iTunes or um, you know, leave a rating review, and that lets people know that, hey, they should be checking out this podcast as well. Today, I have a very special guest. I have Raghav Marotra on here, and he is making waves. He's been making waves for a long time, particularly because of his age. And he's a teenager. And, you know, I think that a lot of times people say he's a great player for his age, but I disagree with that. I think he's just a great player in general. And I tell him that in this conversation and you can tell that he is definitely wise beyond his years has a, has an impressive resume of things that he's done already in his short career. And I know that he has a lot more ahead of him, but again, being wise beyond his years, he pays homage to the people who came before him and is definitely paving his way for the future as well. So I'm not going to waste any more time because this is a great conversation. Let's get into it with Raghav Marotra. Raghav, what's happening, my man? Nothing much. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I appreciate, one, uh, I appreciate you doing this, but two, uh, anytime anything ever happens with scheduling or anything like that, and it's my fault, I'd like to publicly uh, apologize to people. So we were supposed to do this two days ago, and I had been doing a lot of talking, and I woke up and I was like, there's, I was like, there's no way I can do an interview today. I would have sounded like, like Barry White or something. So. No, it's totally cool. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, the, so I want to start, um, I know that you, you started at a young age and one of the things that I'm sure that you hear a lot, which to me is insulting to your craft is of saying, man, you're so good for your age. Right. And to me, I'm like, no, 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 let's scrap the, let's scrap the, for your age. Like you're just a great player period. I don't care how, if you were, if you were 50 or 30 or it wouldn't matter how old you are, like you're just a great player, period. So like, I want to lay that out on the table first and foremost. Um, and so, but the other side of it is you started playing at three. So I think, so what are you, you're 15 now, 16, 15, 15. So when, when people look at you and they say, Oh, you know, oh, he's he's a younger guy. How did he get this good? I look at it like, well, he's also been playing for 12 years, right? So if you yeah. started playing when you're 15, you know, by the time you're 27, you know, you've been playing for a long time. So yeah. talk to me about, talk to me about when you started playing, um, was it obviously three years old? It's sort of, you know, I'm guessing like my, my nephew started playing when he was three. So I kind of saw a little bit of that. Um, and it's a little bit yeah. of just banging around the kit and just, you know, like hitting yeah. things. Obviously, yeah. you know, people are like, you know, my brother's like, should I get him lessons? I'm like, no, he's three. He's like, no, you should not get him lessons. Um, but how did your, how did your development escalate so, so quickly? And what was that like for you? Um, so 
and this is this story is from my parents' point of view because I remember I think like nothing from when I was three and when I was playing drums except the feeling of playing. It was just really joyous. Um, but I'd go to preschool and I would be miserable every single day except Monday. And there's this guy who came in on Mondays. My parents later found out who played the djembe and like saying like the ABCs and like wash your hands or whatever and and just sang to us and and played. And I, I'd be really happy when he came. His name was uh, is Dan Johnson. Uh, so um, he he played, and I just kind of my I just gravitated towards him as a person and him as a player because it was really uh, just engrossing the way he he played, and it was it was just nice to hear some kind of rhythm just playing, and it was it was great, but. Um, so my my mom found out about uh, lessons. Funny enough, and she was like, you know, would you would you just like take a lesson with this? Would you just see how he is? Like he, he's three, and and he's like, I don't know, I don't know if it's gonna work out. And um, we did a couple of trial lessons, and he was just teaching me like the very very basics, not even like reading music or anything. Sure. But he comes he comes from a background. He studied in India playing tabla. Um, he lived in India for two years and then he, he came back to the U S and he's doing tabla gigs as well now. So he came from not only like a Western music point of view, but he integrated some, I don't know if it was consciously or just, just being him. He integrated some Eastern music from India as well. And in my, in, in that early learning part, which I think helps with me understanding different types of rhythms. So I think that's a, that's a benefit that, uh, that I got from him, but he's, he was really great, and he's, I think, my first drum teacher. Yeah, he, he was my first drum teacher, and he was really nice. And he is just really great to talk to now, just, you know, about you just, rhythm. You keep in touch with him? Everything. Yeah, he teaches my brother tabla a little bit. So oh, nice. Whenever he comes to our house, I, we, I, I just go on long talks about whatever is, <laughs> whatever is new and whatever is hot. It's fun. Was there, was there a point that you sort of realized that you – that you had something special or was it, because I'm always, I'm always on the fence and I'd love to get your opinion about this, um, mm-hmm. about, about talent versus skill. Right. So I think a lot of people think that, or, th- or this is my take on it and I'd love to hear yours. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people think you're, you're like, you're born with it and then you just, you sort of develop it along the way, but you have all this natural ability or, uh, you just, you develop a skill set and and over time it turns into this to this great thing like i remember benny greb talking about that and mike johnson the same way that both of them were like i i would like i learned way slower than everyone else so this is this is a skill that i developed this is not a talent that i was just born with what's your take on on talent versus skill i think that is in essence the nature and nurture argument and that's it's such a hard thing to put into context because there's so many people on both sides of the argument that that can argue for their point. But I mean, in my experience, I learned a lot uh, faster than other people who were also my age or sometimes older, younger, or whoever was playing the instrument around me. I seem to pick up the songs and want more. I Mm -hmm. I always want, want more. It's just the idea that there is so much more to learn and that I will never be able to achieve everything is so great to hear because it just makes me want to know it all more. It's, right. it's that, I think that's what, that's half of what pulls me into music and the other is just 
how it makes me feel and you know that it's it's nice it's a retreat but um i think that talent does play a little bit of a part but i think it's it's like 20% what you already have and definitely 80% of how are you honing what you already have or what you do not have in to the point where you can uh where you can get better at what you're doing so Mm-hmm. You know, if it, for example, if, if there's if there's like a skater who's really great at balance, who has who has a natural ability to balance on skates, but who never skates in their life, and suddenly they enter some like really big competition. I mean, they're not going to win because they didn't they didn't prepare for it at all. They they right. don't have any uh, substance behind what they what they what they already have. So I think it's a, it's very important to always practice, and you can't just ride out on your talent because it will only take you so far. Yeah. The interesting thing too is that it starts to create this, you get this positive feedback loop, right? And so you, you're working, you're getting better, that makes you feel better. So you want to work harder because you like the feeling yeah. that you get and then you're seeing more progress and then you want to work harder because you want to get, and it's just like, and because it, yeah. it works the other way too. You have a negative feedback loop too. That's so true. if you go in, you know, you go into the practice studio and, and you don't like what you're hearing or you don't feel like you're, I, I and I think everyone's experienced a little bit of this of, if you're not achieving the things that you want to in the practice room, you're less likely to go back in there the next day because it's a, yep. it's a shitty feeling to, to not yeah. feel good in there. Right. Yeah, totally. So what it's, are, it's, what are some of those no, things that you've overcome with, with those types of things with like, have you had any of those sort of like negative feedback loops happen to you or, or any like, I don't want to say frustrations because we all have them, but sort of obstacles mm-hmm. that you've had to overcome. I think, yeah, definitely. I think we're all susceptible to having negative feedback loops. It's just about controlling the positive ones. So mm-hmm. when a positive feedback loop, I think, gets out of hand or is just continuing for a long time and you're just riding on that high, and one little thing th- uh, that happens isn't doesn't suit your fancy, then the negative feedback loop will come in as opposed to if, you're, if you have a positive feedback loop but, but are controlling it and are staying grounded – then it'll if if something wrong happens, you know, I you can still get back up on your feet. And I have this from time to time where it it's just like it can be a day, it can be a week, it can be a month of just again frustration. We all have it, but uh, just uh, one day is something super frustrating, and then from there, I just can't seem to get. I, I, I get into this funk sometimes where I just can't seem to get back up uh, on my feet and doing something where I where. I like it and I'm proud of it. And I mean, that's a, it's a very subjective thing to be proud of what you do. Cause, uh, you can be proud and someone else can hate it completely. But sure. I, even, even if other people were, were like, you know, that's great. That's cool. It's nice. I'm like, no, nah, it sucks. It's terrible. I hate it. And <laughs> I, I just, I put myself down for absolutely no reason, but then I just have to remember why I play music and it's right. because it makes me feel good. And if I, if it doesn't make me feel good, maybe I should take a break for a day mm-hmm. or two or three or four or five and just let it sit. And when I come back to it, come back to it with a more positive attitude. Mm-hmm. And there, there's it, a yes. couple of things that you said that, that, that I want to touch on. Um, one, one, it reminded me of the, of the, did you ever see like the, the arc of the creator where it's like, this is amazing. And then yeah. it's like, this is going to be yeah. horrible. And then it's like, Oh my God, this is amazing again. I suck. You know, and, then, yeah. and it's sort of we we all ride that that roller coaster. Um, the other the other thing that you had mentioned, and I'm I'm drawing a blank on uh, 
on the uh, when we when you were saying negative feedback loops um one what does the, what is that what is the 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 thing that that you get into this funk with is it you sort of feel like you're playing the same thing all the time or you just can't you can't get things to land where you want them to land like what what does that look like for you and from a to me it seems like you have you're you're pretty grounded with being self-aware and mindful what are some of the practices that you use to get out of those that get out of those negative feedback loops is it just stepping away or is there some sort of like mental process that you go through um so to answer your first question as to what it is it's uh, i mean it depends a lot i think social media also plays sometimes a, a big part in people's negativity and their overall negative views on certain subjects like you you're really great and then you see social media and you're like oh man what the hell i mean this this person's <laughs> so much better like why do i even play kind of thing and um i think it's a lot of me playing the same thing and feeling like i'm going nowhere mm-hmm. with it like I, I take an idea from, let's say, like I, w- I was working on uh, the other day, I was working some Marcus Gilmore ideas mm-hmm. and just studying his playing a lot. And after a week, I feel like I, I feel like I haven't, sometimes I feel like I haven't progressed on anything and I am just playing the same thing over and over and it gets really mundane and it, it's, it's really annoying sometimes where you feel like you're just, you're, you're, you're moving 10 steps forward one day and then the next day you're moving 10 steps back because you're, you're you're just not doing anything that's productive or whatever right but i think that's sometimes a, a big cause of it and to get out of it i usually step stepping away is a big thing doing other things that i enjoy i mean music is my passion it's the thing i love the most but you know i like to bike a lot i know it, may, it might be hard now but i like to bike a lot um I like other instruments other than drums. I play guitar. Sometimes I play bass. I play keys. So just going back to that, playing like to an old playlist that I haven't, I haven't like like songs that I haven't visited in like ten years. Like mm-hmm. I haven't played at all. I, I I wouldn't dream about playing. You know, when I was working on the Marcus ideas, because I feel like I have to constantly top myself and better myself. And if I don't better myself for a week, I, I just feel like I'm doing nothing and going nowhere. But you know, just always going back to the roots. I think that's the the main theme. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get what I hear a lot or, you know, people, people messaging me and, and things like that about this idea that we have as drummers that we always have to be practicing like, and everything, our life has to revolve around drum, everything. It has to be drums, 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 drums. There's no room for anything else. It's like, you can't, you can't, no, you can't go and ride your bike, man. You got to be in the practice room shedding. <laughs> like you can't have any other interests, which I think is com- complete BS. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, I've had multiple conversations about the hundreds of conversations about this, of, about where you find creativity and other things. And that makes your, your playing much better. Um, what's your advice for people who feel that way, who feel that, that it's, that they have to, because people struggle with it. Like I got a, a message from somebody the other day that was like, I feel guilty if I'm not sitting behind the drum kit practicing. If I'm like, if I yep. take an hour to watch television, I feel guilty. If I like go out and take a walk, I feel guilty. Like, do you, do you have any of those things? And if, and if so, like, how do you deal with them and how can, how can you help others? Deal with them? Um, yeah, I, I do, uh, now more than ever because of this whole like quarantine situation or even like on, 
on spring break because my school is technically on spring break right now. Mm-hmm. If I had a regular spring break and there was no hoopla of this thing, um, and I wasn't spending 12, 13 hours a day on the drum set, I'd be like, damn, like, what am I doing with my time? That's so much more important than this. And I think I have, I, I think I have to step back and, um, I guess look at the, look at the broader picture and see, well, what am I, what's my net gain today? If I gained something, I, I think it'll be worth it if I gain something rather than spending 12 hours on a drum set and doing nothing that's super, super important. So right. I think a great, a great way to, a great way to integrate that into your practice or into life in general is just to think about goals. And like, I try to set a goal like a night before, um, just like what I want to do. Um, you know, so like last night it was like, I want to work on, you know, X, Y, Z today. And I want to maybe like, see if I can come up with an idea today. And, and if I reach that goal, cool. If I reach that, if I don't reach that goal, it's all right. I have tomorrow to reach the goal, but I just can't bog myself down for nothing and not, and feeling guilty about not doing anything because it takes time to achieve ideas. Mm -hmm. I think we have this misconception that, you know, that this, everything is going to happen quickly. And it seems like, yeah, I I think that you get out of that headspace as you get older, but even, even like I'm 39 and I'm still like, I want it to happen tonight. You know? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a hard thing to deal with, especially behind the kit where you see where that you see exactly where you want to go and you're here and you want to get there and you're like, okay, I know what the end goal is and why can't I just do it now? Why can't I just yeah. sit down and play this thing and have it come out on the other side and be the way that I want it to be? That's the, I, to me, that's the most frustrating thing. Yeah. It's, it's something that you, that I have to work on as well a lot and not just, not just, not expecting so much to happen in so little time, realizing that there is more time to do everything, but also that there is there is a limit on time. Time is just not infinite. That right. I have to I have to do stuff in a certain amount of time, but I I just let it go sometimes a little right. bit more. How do you choose what you practice, and and how do you how do you break break out sort of your practice time if you're going to practice whatever six hours a day or which. To me, I want to talk to you also about about how you're juggling it with school and 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 mm-hmm. playing on Broadway and all these other things. Like how do how yeah. do you do that with your schedule? Um, but what uh, what does that process look like of of planning in advance of like what you're going to practice? What you, how do you know what you need to work on? Those sorts of things. Um, whatever I think I have to work on is everything that I'm not good at, which is a lot of things or something that I don't know a lot about like uh, Afro-Cuban rhythms is one thing that I'm working on a little bit more or you know like left hand speed is always something I can work on so if I don't know what to practice I'll, I'll pra- I have like a list of fundamentals that I should like revisit every day and if even if I have like an hour a day to practice or half an hour a day it's just that I get in some practice time to practice something so I'm keeping some consistency in what I play mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, just basically things that I, that I, that I don't play well, because <laughs> that, that's the aim of practice. You can't keep practicing what is, what is so comfortable for you. But I think there's also a fine line between practicing and not playing at all. And 
playing too much and not practicing. Because the way I define practice and the way I've uh, learned what practice is, is that it, it's doing something that you're not comfortable with and that you're not comfortable uh, doing, or in this case, live mm -hmm. for me. Um, so if, if I only practice, then I don't have any time to integrate that practice into what I would be playing live. Mm -hmm. So I have to have some part, some part of, of this big, broad practice session that I play and that I let loose a little bit, like, like take a 30 minute drum solo for absolutely no reason and see what comes out of it and maybe do that and see where my ideas are fitting into there and if they're working or not. And that's a great way to test whether things are working, not just by practicing them, but by playing them, of course. Sure. Sure. What, uh, what do you say to the person's like, yeah, that's all fine and good, but I'm bad at a lot of things. And I and I don't I can't practice all of these things at once. Um, like I can't work I on I can't work on Afro-Cuban shuffles, uh, my rudiments, uh, my my double bass pedal, my you know whatever. Um, I think taking it from fundamentals up is uh, wow, that's a really good question. Um, taking it from from what what you think the fundamentals are so like doing a little bit of research on uh what type of practice you know some of your favorite players have done uh when they were super young like i know uh, a couple of people that i really like to listen to have done a lot of marching band and rudimental type playing some uh started with listening a lot so really prioritizing who you like and what they practice first and maybe try to follow a little bit of what they've done so uh, for me, it'd be like, I, I start with, you know, a little bit of listening and hearing and just understanding what I'm getting to. Um, and then I, I, I would have started out with a little bit of just basic technique and getting my hands the right way and making sure they're not, you know, going to make me get like tendonitis or something or, or something, uh, when I'm older and then start working on like the ideas and the concepts once you've gotten to a higher stage mm -hmm. starting out with things you that are you know, sum that up some of that some of that rambling session up um uh start with start start with things that are concrete and that are available to learn as the as as meaning you can see them like on paper or something like that or you can hear them clearly and then go on to the, like the the esoteric avant-garde concepts of like comping like, or like higher level comping or like using uh your your left foot as a splash to complement a guitar or something like that you know. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So uh, let's talk about schedules. I'm I'm big on I'm big on schedules. I know that you mentioned you know the night before you're planning out what you do. I do the same thing. You know I always believe that that you should plan your day before it starts. Um, and the the excuse that I have from a lot of people is I don't have time, but you're in school full time because people are like, oh, I have a full time job. And they're looking at all yeah. these people who are who are who are drummers uh, that are that's all they do. And they say, oh, of course, they have all this time on their hands because all they do is play drums all day. But that's not the case with you. Um, yeah. And so how do how do you break down? How do you break down your schedule to make sure that you have time because you have schoolwork, you, ha you have to go to school, then you have schoolwork. Then you have to practice. Then you have like your family obligations, right? So you're still a minor, so your parents yeah. can still tell you what to do, and so yeah. you you know you still might have to like do some chores or whatever. 
Um, yeah. And then, and then you have Broadway work, which are you actively playing? Well, obviously no one's actively playing at this very second, but were you actively playing before all this? Uh, no, uh, school of rock ended. uh, My run ended in July of 2017. Okay. So, but that was, I was still in eighth grade or seventh grade, eighth grade transitioning to like the high school stage. So I had a bit of, I had a load of work and plus going, back and forth from the city to home. I was still doing brick and mortar school at the time. Um, and going back and forth uh, from home to the city uh, could was at the start very overwhelming when it came to work. So, right. Yeah. So how did you, how did you schedule everything? How did you fit time or how did you make time for all that? Um, then it was, we had, so on matinee days, which was Wednesday, we had like, a three hour tutoring session where we just got to do our work. But I, um, that was the time that I'd catch up on most of my work in that three hours. I'd really try and focus, like put on my headphones and just do my Chinese homework or do right. my math homework or do, do everything that I had to do. Um, but then I do uh, homework on the train. I'd study for tests on the train a lot. Cause that's like an, like an hour to an hour and a half of free time yeah. like that you have. And even, even if it was like the 10 o'clock train, which I took back on Mondays and, and Sundays, I think. Yeah. Mondays and Sundays, I used to take the 10 o'clock train back and I just used to take that hour and hour and a half. So I didn't have to stay up from 1130 to one o'clock mm-hmm. trying to figure out what, what my math test was going to be on right. the, the day before. So it was just about using time. Well, mm-hmm. any time that I had, I, I could, I had to use well. So that I could take the time that that I wasn't doing work to actually enjoy myself and have fun. Right. So I using by using whatever time that I, I using by using the free time that I had well, I had as a byproduct I had a lot more time to just chill or like watch it watch a movie on the train if I didn't have anything to do. Or, you know, hang out with all the kids during the breaks between the shows, you know. So I wasn't cooped up in work. Sure and work and more work yep one line in the dream symbol family that i think is really cool is the dark matter family they have the flat earth the moon ride and the dark matter energy and although they're all made a little bit differently they all involve the dark matter process and this is really cool check this out they take a symbol that is already finished and then put it back in the oven hand hammer it and then shock it with cold water and then put it back in the oven and what happens is the ash and the soot from the oven are fused to the top layer of the metal, which give it this really, really unique sound. And you know what? I want to let you hear exactly what this process does to a cymbal. Check them out. To learn more about Dream Symbols, their Dark Matter line, and all their great products, be sure to check out DreamSymbols.com.
If you're looking for a top-of-the-line snare, then look no farther than the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series. These are designed to combine sound concepts to create unique and personal instruments for the demanding player. They come in three unique variations, and they all have their own unique sound quality to them. You have the Heartbreaker, which is dark and rustic and throaty. You have the Cherry Bomb, which is vintage, controlled, and precise. And then you have the Equinox, which will give you that classic, bright, articulate sound. To learn more about the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series, go to mapexdrums.com. You mentioned you said at the time I was still in brick and mortar school. Did you transition out of a out of a traditional school? Uh no. No. I'm okay. still doing brick and mortar school. Got you. Got yeah. you. The way that I just the way that you said it, I was thinking, oh, maybe he maybe he's going doing it online or, or homeschooled or something like that to to free no, up some of your time. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could do that. It's hard sometimes focusing. Yeah. It's great. You can stay up in your PJs and everything, but you know, I don't know if I'd wake up. Right. <laughs> I'd just right. be sleeping. Right. Um, what's your take on, on working on Broadway? Do you think that's something that you'd continue to do or that you would like to continue to do? Yeah, that was, I think that, time that I was introduced to that that was my first dose of real big professionalism Mm -hmm. going from like playing a local gig once a year or twice a year to working on Broadway doing eight shows a week all year and sometimes 13 shows in a row I mean that was it was a huge change and I really kind of ashamed to say I didn't know what Broadway was before School of Rock um (laughs) I, I I was new to the concept before the open call and we went in i was i learned in the open call i was gonna audition um i thought it was like a learn who can learn the soundtrack the best kind of thing so i learned the whole soundtrack of the show i was ready i got my 15 seconds of greatness they're like play whatever you want i I played something i did it well and they're like can you sing after and i was like no and that was stupid i don't know why i said that um but then they're like, okay, bye. And then I, I got called back a couple of times and just through the callbacks, learning what it took to constantly better yourself to expectations of an audience of 16, 1,600 people in an audience streaming and saying, more school of rock, school of rock, <laughs> the, whole th- the whole thing. To have so many people in the audience every single night watching you, you cannot slip up. Right. So. Right. I think in addition to the the skills and whatever else or, and and how well you could learn the material and what your what your uh what your skill level was when it came to singing or playing your instrument I think when in the auditions they were also looking at what kind of person you were mm-hmm. and if you had like the work ethic or if you had the the little ego to if you could check your ego at the door and when they gave you notes you wouldn't make a face or you or you wouldn't be like no i mean i thought i did it pretty well kind of thing and you would take every single note they had with with full intent and apply everything that they said because at the end of the day andrew legweber is the boss mm-hmm. he dictates he dictates what he wrote he wrote the music for the show he so he has the complete power but sure it's crazy to just learn what it took to really work a, f- a full-time job it was nice though it was re- it was really fun at the end of the day and not only just that but i got to learn behind such a well 
oiled machine kind of a show. How much work it took at the at, behind the scenes, mm-hmm. backstage, what what the crew was doing. It, like there's one time where the ceiling fell. Like the, there was a hole in the ceiling. The whole really? show. Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. There was a hole in the ceiling, and every time there was a black stage where they should have been transitioning between sets. You had like a little square of light coming in from, and it was a clear day too. So it was the worst possible time for that to happen. Um, and how in the middle of the show, people were going up and fixing the roof in, in the middle of the show. So, I mean, it was, really? it was really crazy to see it. Yeah, it was nuts. That day was, there's a couple of other times that things have gone kind of awry, but it was, they, they've always found a way to get back up and, and fix it. And the show must go on. I mean, that really lives in the Broadway world. I got to imagine that's a little distracting when you're, uh, when you're trying to, yeah. When you're trying it to was play definitely, a gig. And... That day was not the the best performance for me, especially because I was looking up. I was like, the ceiling's off. What happened to the ceiling? <laughs> Is the ceiling going to come back on the ceiling? And I just kept, I, I don't know. It was fun though. It was great. Nice. Now, I didn't Some realize, I didn't realize that it was a, uh, that it was an open call for the, for the uh for the musicians too i mean normally like the broadway you know the broadway system is somebody recommends you for something or you fill in for someone for a little while and then you know and then you get their gig and and all that kind of stuff so how many how many people did you have to beat out to get the gig uh i don't know how many people actually i think andrew said it was twenty three thousand people across the country and otherwise who auditioned for the show. And I'm lucky enough that um, after the open call, or yeah, after the open call, I got a, a couple of callbacks and then I got the role of a of, of vacation swing in which um, I understudied for the guy who played Freddie, which was great. And then I transitioned to the main role and it was all the singing, the acting, the dancing, everything it was great. So can you sing or no? Yeah, I guess. I guess you can say I sing. I mean, <laughs> I ha- don't I have worry, to- I'm not going to ask you to sing. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I, I can sing. I don't... Why'd you say no when they asked you if you could? I was I was scared out of my pants. I yeah. really didn't... I was, I'm still not as confident in my ability to sing, um, even after the whole Broadway experience. But then I, if I'm not as confident now, I, I don't really remember as well as I... But I, I was not confident at all in, the, you, in my ability to sing so you you weren't nervous about the audition you were nervous about your ability to sing or, re, or yeah both. i didn't know they were gonna ask me to sing at all Got i didn't it. know what an open call was right. so i did the drum thing it was great they liked my drumming i thought i did pretty well i was i was riding high and they were like can we hear you sing and, and everything all of the emotion i had up here just <laughs> plopped to the ground and that was one of those negative feedback loops where I was after that in the practice room in in my garage. It was winter time, so it was all cold, and I couldn't just couldn't play anything right. And I was just kind of mad. I was like, I should have sang. I come on, like. And the, it was just that it was like a week of just me putting myself down for not being on the thing. Right, but the audition itself, uh, because people freeze up in auditions. All the time. It happens all the time where people walk into a cattle yeah. call or or even if they're on a short list to get the gig and they go in, they're like, all right, let's do it. And they, they you know, even, man, I, I had, uh, I interviewed Josh Freeze and when he got the Sting gig, he, they're like, fly him to Italy and to practice in Sting's 
castle, right? In the in, in yeah. Italy. And he's like, he's never heard me play before. Like, I'm sure he's watched videos of me, but he's never heard me play. And I, I'm like, what happens if I go over there and like I underperform or I don't. And this is Josh Freeze, right? And like, yeah. And even he's like, I hope I hope I don't I hope I don't blow it when I get there. You know, so auditions can What's be show anybody anybody can just anybody can freeze up if 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 something big enough happens. Yeah, for sure. I mean the sting gig is, is a little heavy, but um Yeah. But but for you there was no you weren't too nervous about the audition itself. No, and again I didn't know I was gonna be able to sing, so I thought the audition was gonna be just drumming, which right. is where I'm comfortable. I mean in any and any of the callbacks when they add they did they asked me to do the lines i was nervous there they asked me to sing i was obviously nervous there but when they asked me to play drums that's where i got comfortable mm -hmm. and i was it was lucky where i got to play drums first so it kind of calmed my nerves for the rest of the audition got you got you so i guess you don't have any advice or tactics for people to calm down during <laughs> i think just oh i think in in learning from that experience every time i do if I do an audition now or if I'm doing something that's pretty important live and not videoed, then I, my biggest piece of advice is just over prepare. Yeah. Like there's, there really is no such thing as over preparing. Over preparing is preparing in my mind. Cause it, if you know your material well enough, you have very little chance to have like an unforced error there. So you can focus on like if the, if, if they're giving you notes or you can focus on like an audience's reaction, then that's what you're going to be able to feed off of. And you're going to be attentive to the the little details where you can improve and all the foundations will be set and won't have to worry about that. I love that. That's very good advice there. I, I love that over, <laughs> over prepared is prepared. I agree. Yeah. It's like if you're Definitely. late, if you're, if you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, don't bother coming. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, I want to talk about your sound a little bit. To me, the thing that I really love about your playing and the thing that really sticks out to me is that you, let me back up a little bit. One, when I hear uh, the next generation of drummers who are coming up, a lot of them sound similar, first of all, um, and they have like a newer, they have a newer style, right? Which I'm totally, that's totally fine. Um, but mm -hmm. you, I think are different. I think that you have both. I think that you have a newer style. And so you like, to me, I can tell that you're influenced by like a Marcus Gilmore and like, you know, maybe Spank or like some of the, or Chris Dave or these guys yeah. that are, that are newer. But then I also hear, I also hear Elvin Jones. I also hear like some mm -hmm. Max Roach. I also hear this, this, you know, vintage sound in what you're doing that's blended together with that. Was that something? Thank you conscious or is that just a, a byproduct of what you listen to and and like what it, what you're letting in your brain um i think i mean it's not conscious that i in that i like blend together a bunch of these different artists and and try to try to put it uh, put it into into my playing but i think my playing is just a product of whatever I listen to and whatever I like to listen to. So like, I, I, I love playing groove because that's just what I, that's, I think the one thing I really love to listen to when I, when I listen to drums, like I love to hear like a great, just Steve Jordan groove, just Steve Jordan playing for 15 hours straight. I will sit there for 15 I'm hours the same way. because 
because it's the it's the greatest thing they hear. But I think my playing is just a just a product of whatever I listen to and what I like to listen to. Yeah. What I I think the hard part is hearing the stuff that you like and getting it to implement itself into your playing. And or same thing with the practice room, right? You're like, oh, I practice all this stuff, and then I go play a gig, and all the stuff that I'm practicing won't doesn't come out in my playing. Is there is there ways that you've incorporated the things that you listen to into your playing, or is it more of a subconscious thought process of of choices, sonic choices, uh, phrasing, things like that? Yeah, um, I think from starting starting to learn everything. Uh, note for note like I started or my dad started like a like for fun started a YouTube channel for me when I was like four or five or something mm -hmm. and just posted like like took secretly took a video of me like playing to a song and then it got to like I'd 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 learn a song and then post it on YouTube kind of thing but it was I think I have like a hundred or so videos on there and all of them are just me learning songs trying to learn songs or attempting to learn songs note for note and I think through learning songs note for note, I developed some of the vocabulary of the drummers that I listened to. Um, so like, for example, John Bonham, I, I think I learned the whole of Houses of Holy and posted it on YouTube in like a day or two. Um, and I learned it note for note. And, I, and I've developed some of that vocab, some of the vocabulary that I've developed from that, from, from John Bonham and that, from, from that style of playing was, um, was because I learned everything that he played or like the snarky puppy stuff that I love to play and that I, that I play on there. I, it's a lot of those Larnell licks are from what about me and from those songs. And it's, it's because I played it exactly as it was played. And now I can take the licks that I learned and I can take the phrases that I learned and the ideas that I learned and try to integrate it into what I'm doing. And then that's where the application process comes in thinking about it first. And then it'll come a little more naturally once you've, listen to it and play it a lot more. Mm -hmm. And and one thing I notice about your playing too is yes, you are influenced by all these people, but I don't feel like you're copying and pasting. And I think a lot of people like they just they're like, "Oh, lick 37, I'm going to just drop it into this non-musical setting because I spent the last 7 hours working on it, so now I got to fit it in somewhere." I don't see that yeah. in your in your playing. I think that like I can hear it, but you're but you're phrasing it differently or you're you're putting things where they should be and and it's it's all music to me and i and i i believe that the things that you do the choices that you make is music first thank you that means a lot um thank you so much um i'm just call, i just yeah, i'm just calling it how i see it man <laughs> <laughs> thank you um it's yeah i just just play the music kind of thing I don't try to force a, a lick or a fill into a place where it's not supposed to be. That's for the practice room. See, that's what I. That's that's what that's what you do in the practice. But on the gig, it's like whatever fits fits, and mm -hmm. you've got to trust that what you've done while you practiced will sneak into your playing or will fit, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's that's where playing with live musicians, or at playing playing live or playing with real people sometimes, like practicing or not is is really important so you can test out what you've done it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about practicing and playing right so i I look at practicing like the weight room but the you're not gonna you don't go out onto the football field and lift weights right the weights are to condition you to be able to perform at the highest level when you step on the field i look at the same way with with drumming and 
a lot of times, I don't know, I get, I get shit for saying this a lot on the podcast, but a lot of times I think that people are so chops oriented that they get into the, they get into the music setting and they just, they don't play music. They just play chops. I mean, it's a thing I'm guilty of sometimes as well. We all Uh, are. We all are for sure. Yeah. I just, just learning, learning that learning, like, like watching a drumio lesson and, and learning the bunch, the bunch of chops. Like I, I, I did that a lot when I was like 10, 10 and nine, I watched a bunch of drumio stuff. Uh, and then I learned all the chops and everything. And I was like, cool, I'm going to play. I'm going to play. I'm going to play. I'm going to play. And I was like, nah, 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 nah. and then <laughs> did it work? I don't know. <laughs> and it, it was just, and then after that, I, I, I really realized that it was a lot more about being musical than just, just playing the chops. Cause playing chops is great and all when you can, but the main, and the main job of a drummer, whether you like it or not, is going to be to play groove and mm-hmm. is going to be to hold down your time. Um, it, I mean, in most of the settings, but um, not doing that uh, can result in something not being as musical. But I just like to to make sure whatever I play has to be musical. And if it's not musical, then should I be playing it? I mean, that's something I should revisit. Right. I think the hard part is too, especially especially as a younger player, or or when I say younger, like earlier in in your development, understanding what is musical and what's not, and making that distinction. And I think that you know i my take is that it just comes with it comes with experience and and whether you're getting weird looks on the stage or or whatever it is yeah um but that it's hard you don't know what you don't know and you're like oh man this is like the hippest stuff out and like oh this is great this is you know when people are looking at you like that that's not happening man yeah it's it's all about trial and error and then just trying to figure out what's right for Mm -hmm. the for the for the setting especially and and yeah, it's just that. So what do you, uh, what do you have planned for the future? What are your, what are you thinking? I know it's a loaded question, but are you thinking? That is a very loaded question. Uh, yeah. What is your entire life plan, sir? <laughs> <laughs> In detail. Um, uh, no, but are you, are you thinking, uh, are you thinking college? Are you thinking music as a career? Are you thinking doing something else and playing music on the side? Like what, what's your take on that? Cause the industry is, the industry is crazy and you're right in the middle of it where you're still in school. So you, you know, like for other people who have been doing it for, for much longer, we're like, well, this is all I've done. And I, and I've sort of already built these connections and I've already, I built this career. Like when, when the getting was good, so to speak. Um, yeah. But the industry is crazy now. Like what are your thoughts on the industry and what you want to do with it? Um, uh, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I'm a sophomore in high school now. So college and SATs and ACT and everything is kind of becoming really important. It is really important. Um, so I think I, my passion is music and mm-hmm. it would be, it would mean the world and it would be the greatest thing if I could turn my passion into a job. And I think that's what, that's really what I want to do. But my thinking is that I should have some kind of fail safe just in case it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, there is the argument that you, you take music and if there's or take your passion like art or something and you go all in completely and you just forget about everything else for a little bit of time and see and see if it works out or not but i think i should have some kind of fail safe as well just in case um like income's not coming or i don't have a steady source of income or something something's not happening where i cannot support myself i should have like a degree or something or you know some some kind of background where i can uh just 
to fall back on. So like go to a college I'm thinking that has some type, like maybe I, if I could minor in like a music in music or something and major in like, I don't know, business or economics or something, you know, mm-hmm. just to have something. That's that, what I, that that's I, actually exactly what I did. Yeah. Music major yeah. or music, music minor business major. Yeah. And it's just, I, I want to have something that at the end of the day will support what, what my passion is. So you know, if, if I learn the business side of things or I learn about marketing or I learn about digital media or something or anything that, mm-hmm. that will really, uh, that, that, that'll complement the already existing music knowledge that I have it. I think it'll be like a dynamic trio or duo or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. It'll put you, it'll definitely put you in a good, in a good position. And the thing, the, the thing that always cracks me up is people wonder like, how do you get into the music industry or how do you get into working in another industry? Like, like sports or or entertainment or something like that they're all just businesses they're the same way as getting a job at wells fargo like if you understand marketing or if you understand you know if you understand digital media like you said or you understand manufacturing or retail or whatever it is like all of those things happen in the music industry they happen in the entertainment industry they happen in the sports industry yeah so for you to get to get those at least and that's one of, one of my big qualms, and I talk about it a lot on the podcast and, and on Instagram and stuff like that. Is you don't need to have your MBA in in business, but you need to have like at least some cursory level understanding of business and how it works, especially if you're going to be like a freelance yeah. musician or on your own because you're running your own business. That's exactly what it is. You have to know how to market yourself as well as a big thing. Like a lot of people, I think. And sometimes I take for granted what Instagram and what Snapchat and what like now TikTok and all these social media platforms are. They're huge in that you can like that you can rise and you can blow up and you've got to be able to know how to present yourself there. Mm-hmm. And from that point, once if you have if you are, I guess a way to look at it is really fortunate. If you're really fortunate to blow up on one of these platforms and your music and your business is elevated you have to be able to know how to run that with all the traffic that's going to come in right and so you don't have to have an mba but you 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 should know how it works for sure i think yeah i think it's one of the one of the missteps that and and i i think there's more opportunity now like the chances of you obviously like signing a record deal and going out and like and making millions of dollars and like that usually just doesn't doesn't happen anymore like the record labels are not giving people $300,000 $300,000 advances to go make records and, and all that kind of stuff. Anymore. Exactly. Um, but, it's like this bedroom producer kind of, kind of movement that's coming up. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that there's it's, more opportunity. I think it levels the playing field. I think the cream rises to the top yeah. and yeah. guess what? You don't need some 75 year old white dude in an office to tell you like, that your music is good or that it's not, you know, it's like you can put yeah. it out into public, into public the trial. whole world to, you have the whole world instantaneously. To, to tell you. It's Instagram, instant. Yeah, you know. The, but yeah, and, and also another thing with Instagram is that it's a great means to an end. So like me posting on Instagram, if I get X, Y, and Z person who, who I'm fortunate enough to contact me um, through that post, through seeing my through seeing my posts, then I have more or I have another live gig or I have like uh something else that or like a podcast opportunity or you know anything that i can use or that i can participate in to learn from and to 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 garner 
knowledge from. And I think that's, I think that's a, that's a main reason why I still post on Instagram and what I like to post on Instagram, because it's, a, it's not only is it, you know, sharing with other people what I like to do, but it's also a way that I can, um, uh, I don't know how to, how to put this really well, but it's, it's, it's a way that I, that I can, I guess, I don't want to say get more, but, but, but that I can put myself out there, I guess is the right. best it's way distribution. to say Yeah. I mean, years ago, the Holy Grail in like getting a record deal was one thing, getting, making a record, all that stuff. The Holy Grail was distribution, right? So you, if you get a distribution deal, then they put your CDs in all the retailers and all that kind of stuff, right? So now everyone has distribution. You can put it on, you can put it any, you can put it on Spotify instantaneously. Like I talk about it all the time. I re, I release a podcast and someone in Sweden is listening to it instantaneously. It's mind boggling, right? So like Crazy. the opportunity is there. It's just, if you want to go out and get it, I don't know. I, you seem like the guy that the kind of guy that's going to go out and get it though. Yeah, I would. I, I don't want to leave anything on the table. Exactly. You know, I could, if I could do something that would, that would help, why would, why would I not do it? Yep. You know, just, just take everything, take the, take the bull by the horns and really grab the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, the most of what it is. Yep. So speaking of, of Instagram and social media, where is the best place for people to find you on all your, cause I know you're on YouTube, you're on, you're on Instagram. I don't know if you're on Twitter or yeah. Facebook or whatever else. I am. I am on Twitter and Facebook. I don't use Twitter that much. Twitter's kind of, I don't use it that much, but, um, you, everywhere it's Rogov drummer, R A G H A V drummer. Uh, I talk about, uh, my, ins I, I'm talking on my Instagram the most. I use my Instagram uh the most so yeah you know just give me a quick follow it's cool it's worth it it'll make <laughs> you want to quit playing drums too uh <laughs> uh well ragav i want to one uh congratulate you on all the success that you've had so far i know that you have a very long and bright career ahead of you as well and two, I want to thank you for taking the time. And three, again, I would like to thank you for being so generous and courteous uh, with, yeah. me, with me canceling on you the other day. And I appreciate it. No, I appreciate cool. you being understanding. Thank you for having me on the podcast. It's a, it's a real honor. Great to have you. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Love it. There you have it, the great Raghav Marotra, and you can check out the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash section 561, session 561, and do me a favor, please leave a rating, please leave a review, you can do that on iTunes again, and also, if you haven't picked up a copy, you have a lot of time now on your hands, I'm guessing, uh, if you haven't picked up a, a copy of Stick Control Variations, I'm giving it away free, all you have to do is go to drummersresource.com, you can sign up for the mailing list, and I will send you that book for free, you can go to drummersresource.com, or go to drummersresource.com forward slash book, if you want to go right to it. And that's all I got this week. So for the next pot, until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer, Nick Ruffini. That's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.